0: Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. From our to our uh, Fox Valley campus, good to have you with us, as well as those online, for our first Wednesday of the year, fall, which is actually on the second Wednesday because of Labor Day, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so here we are. The band, I don't know about you guys down there, but man, the band was smoking up here. I mean, okay, yeah, during the summer, you know, you go around Wisconsin, you hear these different bands and they're jamming and stuff. I tell you, there is nobody that can hold a candle to these boys, man, when they rock it out. I mean, it's the best music. You want good music? You should be in church. Because we're killing it. Yeah. In fact, it was so hot and smoking, I feel like I'm going to depress everybody now preaching. <laughs> Bring the band back. Shut up. Tell the ball guy to shut up. Anyway. Uh, so we're, we're starting uh, on, on first Wednesdays. I want to do something a little bit different. We've never done before. And uh, for some of you, uh, it'll be completely new. Others it kind of, maybe some clear things up. I want to talk to you about the Bible. All right? So what does that mean? Not necessarily quoting from the Bible so much as just to tell you about the Bible. So you can understand what it is, where it came from. Why is it structured the way that it is? Uh, Eventually, we want to go back and make, particularly the Old Testament make sense. Because what's really jacked up about the Bible is it's not in order. It's all over the place. So if you start from the beginning, start reading through, (laughs) you're going to go, what? I don't understand. So uh, there are great, uh, you can actually find uh, Bibles that are, they put them in the right order, chronological Bibles. It would actually be easier to read, but the jumping around and and, and whatever. So we will start at least with one scripture tonight. Um, This is in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 16. It says, all scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The NIV version says it is God-breathed. King James, inspired by God, all kinds of the, the idea that God has breathed his truth and his life into these words that we can read and draw life from. So anyway, let's talk about the Bible. What is the Bible? Where did it come from? Now, the Bible is not actually one book it looks like when you go buy it, it looks like one book, you know, read the Bible, but it's, it's not really one book. It's, uh, it consists of 66 books or writings or letters as it was in the New Testament. We call them books just for the simplicity of referring to uh, what we're talking about. But, uh, so the, the traditional count of the books throughout the vast majority of Christianity, it's 66 books. Okay. Um, there's 39 in the old Testament, 27 in the new Testament. Now the Roman Catholic church is a little different because they always got to be different. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> so, uh, their Bible isn't 66 books. It's 73 books because they include seven books, uh, from an old Testament era, uh, kind of like where the old Testament ends in ours and before the new Testament begins that sort of thing. Uh, They're referred to as the Apocrypha, and I'll explain that a little bit later, what that is. And then the only other collection of Bibles that uh, I studied about, read about, is one called the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. They have 81 books in their Bible, two which are considered pseudopigrapha, heavy on the pig, because they are considered false by virtually everybody else. So why the Ethiopian Orthodox Church decided to include these. We have no idea. The good news is a small group. So anyway, uh, now the word Bible actually never appears in the Bible. All right. Um, uh, the first Bible that was actually translated into English uh, is the Wycliffe Bible, uh, that was back in 1300s, mid 1300s, uh, And what they did is they wanted to, up to this point, initially everything was in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek and the Old Testament written in Hebrew. And if you couldn't speak and read Greek or Hebrew, you're just out of luck. You couldn't understand it. Then they eventually tried to make it all into one common language, which at the time was Latin. And and then the church really hung on to the Latin thing, particularly the Roman Catholic church. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, they still did their services in Latin. It's considered a dead language. Nobody in the world speaks it except Christians who don't want to change. So these guys were hanging on to it, the whole thing. And then they finally had, you know, maybe we should put this in plain language. (laughs) They finally did this. There are still real hardcore purist Roman Catholics who think the uh, putting it into English is just a horrible, horrible thing. And in the small groups, they still do it all in Latin, which is fine if you speak Latin. Uh, and virtually nobody does today. So what the Clifford Bible did, took the uh, what is called the uh, uh, Latin Vulgate uh, and decided to translate it into English. Now, they were really paranoid because no one had done this before. They, they were really cutting edge. Uh, in fact, a lot of people got mad at them for doing it. But they wanted to put it in this case into English. They called it middle English, a very older form of English. If you're trying to read it, it's really hard to read. You know, you think these and thou's are bad in the King James. This, this is way beyond that. There's all kinds of stuff in the way they wrote their words and stuff. But what really set them back is because they wanted to be so true and not make a mistake in the translation, they translated the Bible uh, from Latin into English word for word. The problem is that anybody who speaks more than one language knows you can't just translate word from word from one language into the other. It just doesn't make sense. There's all kinds of stuff that takes on wholly different fields, whole different understandings, but they didn't want to make a mistake. So they translated word for word. So some of it's really hard to understand. There's portions that make absolutely no sense at all uh, when you're trying to read it in, in English. But anyway, the radical thing that they did was they at least presented the Bible. Now, it wasn't mass produced because the printing press still wasn't uh, uh, around. But they wanted to get it into people's hands so they can start to understand it more. Now, the powers that were there at the time, in this case the Roman Catholic Church, very much objected to the Wycliffe Bible because they uh, thought that the common person couldn't understand. You see what I'm saying? Uh, it's, It's part of it is kind of a, it's not so much a religious arrogance. I don't think it's just an intellectual arrogance. You know, there's people, if you ever run into some of these, and I know some highly educated people with big degrees and just down to earth as they can be. But then you got a whole bunch of pinheads that just are convinced you're not worthy of their presence. And you're clearly not educated enough to understand what uh, is going to be said. So a lot of that was happening at the time. They were convinced people could not understand if they read the scriptures themselves. It was just beyond them. But the reality is, as most of you have read the scriptures, it's really not all that complicated. There's few parts, you know, where you kind of go, Yee, what, is, what does that mean? And, and there's a few parts still to this day, nobody knows what it means. <laughs> uh, does that bother me? Nah. No. I have a hard enough time doing what I do understand. So I just keep focusing on what I can do and don't try to get caught up in what I don't understand in the Bible. So they started this really a revolution of uh, reading. And then what they discovered was what they feared to a great degree is that as they were reading the scriptures, they started realizing that what they were reading wasn't what they were being told. And that was the fear for the religious power controllers, right? They had their certain way of presenting the gospel and, and religious doctrines and stuff like that. And they're reading the Bible and go, yeah, but, but, it, but it says this. And it started creating uh, this problem. Anyway, so that's what it was. Uh, the the uh, Gutenberg Press didn't come along until 1455. And that's when they started being able to print in mass quantities. It changed the world. The very first book printed on the Gutenberg press was the Bible. And now it's in all kinds of people's hands and it's spreading all over the place. So anyway, you got the Bible, you got this, and then someone came along and said, you know, we really ought to put chapters in because it's kind of hard to find things. So that's when they started coming up with these ideas of chapters. The Bible was not written in chapters, um, which really had to make it difficult to find where things were, you would think. It's hard enough knowing the chapters. And the numbers, the verses, which they still hadn't done at this point. Uh, if you wanted to read something from the scriptures, you had to find the scroll and scroll through it and trying to find the spot. Oh, yeah, that that that's that verse. I don't know how they managed that, except that when people went to church, they were there for a long time. <laughs> Nobody was in a hurry. They didn't have TV. All right. So, um, so anyway. Um, So then eventually, they decided they wanted to add these chapters. And they started doing this about uh, 1,200, whatever, and they broke it down. And so people started having more of a a better feel of it. Then the uh, Hebrew Old Testament was first divided into verses, numbered verses. There was a rabbi by the name of Nathan, in the 1400s, who decided to go and start doing that to the Old Testament. So they could not only just have the name of the book, but now they could go to the, chap- the chapter, and now they broke it down into verses. So now people could really get to it quickly. Uh, so the uh, Protestant Bible, or the, the Bible uh, printers, started doing the same thing. Um, uh, about 1500s, someone went and started putting verses. to it. They took what the Jews had done in the Old Testament, and they didn't mess with it. And then they took and started breaking that down into the New Testament. That's how we get now, if you want to say, John three sixteen everybody's, you know, you can find that real quick because we understand uh, the system. The only problem is, I mean, some of these verses are kind of archaic. I don't know what they were thinking. They would break, and you still see it to this day as you're reading. They would break into different verses in the middle of thoughts. And it's like, what? You know, or they would break a verse into, into it that actually was not only part of that verse, but part of the next chapter. And it's like, just, it's, it can make it a little difficult sometimes to read. You just got to keep reading. But remember, it wasn't written uh, like that. Uh, And the problem is a lot of people, they get so caught up in just reading Bible verses, they forget that there's context to the verses. Do you know what I'm saying? You need to, if you're going to really understand it, you need to read it in context. What are they saying? Just grabbing one verse here or there, which a lot of people, I'm stunned at how many people have never actually read any book of the Bible all the way through is really rather shocking to me, but it is what it is. But we need to encourage people. If you really want to understand, you got to read it in the context. What are they saying? And then you got your little verse. If you sit there and pop little verses here and there, uh, it won't always make sense. Or you can kind of go down rabbit trails, you know, that'll get you in all kinds of trouble. Then there's people, they they follow their spiritual guidance by just randomly opening the Bible and dropping their finger to read a verse. Actually do this, you know, but you're not going to gain much truth in that. And besides, you could read, Judas went out and hanged himself and then do it again and go down and do likewise. You know, you get all kinds of trouble (laughs) because you're not going to make any sense jumping around like that. It's not going to make any sense to anybody. All right. So anyway, uh, uh, let's back up. So who exactly decided what books, writings, letters, would be in the Bible. So the collection of books that took shape, that we consider the Bible, happened about 200 years uh, after after Jesus. It didn't take all that long uh, before they started doing this. And it eventually became acknowledged to be canon, all right? Now, canon means accepted as a fact. All kinds of things can be canon, you can have books on oil changes <laughs> that are canon because everybody believes this is the way it is. This is the, how everybody understands that. Uh, it's a little bit different than uh, this word, which blows things to pieces, okay? So, so you lose the one end, and you got just the one N. And, so, and you'll read you know, you know, in history. And uh, actually, after we go through all of this, I don't know how long this is gonna take, but at some point, I'd like to come back and just go through church history. I, and it's so enlightening when you start to oh, that's when they started doing that. Oh, that's when they started doing it. That's, you know, and you can really get a picture of what has been going on for the last 2000 years. Some of it has been marvelous. Some of it have been horrendous, horrible things that have taken place, but at least it'll give us some context. So anyway, you got this generally accepted authoritative thing. Uh, there was no single church council that got together with a bunch of religious leaders and put the canon together. All right. Now there was one about 400 years into Christianity. We all got together and they basically just agreed on what everybody had already accepted as Canon. These are the, the liturgi- uh, legitimate books of the Bible. Uh, now the Jewish old Testament Canon, you would think was formed a long time ago cause they've been around for thousands of years. The church only 2000 and you got the old Testament all this time. Amazingly, it was really only considered canon, getting all these things organized about three to 400 years before Jesus came, which is really stunning. Why is that? Because really for huge parts of their history, they didn't obey any of it. <laughs> they were a disaster, a complete disaster. God sends Moses and brings them out of the promised land, gives them the law and says, if you'll follow these instructions, I will bless you and you will succeed at an insane level. But if you don't, I'm going to kick your butt. Well, what happens is they basically don't listen to any of it. And uh, by the time they, you know, God finally had had it with them, the uh, other armies came in, Babylonians took them into captivity for 70 years, and then they finally came back out. And that's where you read, and we'll we'll break this down when we get into the Old Testament, putting it together. This is when Nehemiah comes and, uh, and he starts reading parts of the scripture that they had basically forgotten. And it had such an impact on them. They were all weeping and crying out to God for forgiveness and, and stuff like that. And that's why put the Jewish nation on track so that Jesus could be born into the Jewish nation that wasn't completely all jacked up. Because up to this point, they were doing horrible things. They were so into paganism and worshiping idols. And I, you know, I don't know what the appeal of that is. Some temptations, you know, like cherry pie, I can relate to, you know, <laughs> worshiping a stick that's made in the form of something i don't get that but they couldn't stop and they just kept getting pulled back into these, worshiping these eyes and then getting into all the destructive behaviors with it they eventually were offering their own children as sacrifices i mean these people were into it it was pagan these were the jews these were the people brought into the promised land that it so corrupted themselves and it was an absolute disaster So it wasn't until Nehemiah and Ezra got together and finally pulled the, and then they basically set their canon. But again, there again, it wasn't just, everybody just made a bunch of pinheads got together made the decision. It was that it was accepted throughout all this time that these were the legit books. And the same thing happened in Christianity. Nobody really had a problem because they all understood this this is the real thing, okay? Uh, Now, there's three criteria that was considered uh, to be, uh, that a book had to hit to be considered a New Testament canon. Number one was authorship. Who wrote it? Who wrote it was huge. Now, Jesus never wrote anything. Now, we, kn- well, we shouldn't say that. We know he could write because, remember, the woman who was caught in adultery, um, they said, you know, we should sort of what do you say, and the Bible says he got down and wrote, on the, wrote, wrote in the ground. I don't know what he's writing, but clearly he could write. But he didn't write anything that we could, why not? Because if there's one thing the Bible tells you is to let others acknowledge who you are instead of you go around boasting of yourself. Even God himself in the form of Jesus didn't sit down and say, well, this is what I want y'all to do. All of it was by others who heard what he said and then recorded it. So uh, the authorship was huge and primarily it was the apostles. If you were an apostle and they could find something that you said that had huge sway. Uh, obviously the gospels, Mark, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew, Luke, and John were all apostles. The only one that wasn't an apostle was Mark. Well, why did that make the cut? I'll tell you in just a second, but one of it is that uh, he apparently, according to tradition, was, uh, worked very closely with Peter and was an interpreter for Peter. What language? I don't know. But anyway, that he wrote Mark. Uh, but everything else, was all pretty much apostles. Not all of it. There's a few that weren't. So number one, authorship. Uh, Number two, antiquity. The older the manuscripts were that they found, the more they believed it was legit. And that still even holds to this day. Every time they can find something a little bit older. And of course, skeptics have always believed that what happened was, you know, you've heard this story, get 10 people in a room and have the first one whisper a story and the next one whisper the next story. And by the time you get to it, it's a completely different story. Yes, that's true. But that's not what they did with the Bible. They weren't just sitting in a circle whispering into each other's ears. They took these manuscripts and painfully, painfully wrote and copied one letter at a time, uh, one from the other. And someone was always checking. I mean, uh, the accuracy was stunning. And of course, skeptics say, well, there's no way, but then every once in a while they'll find some ancient manuscript. You'll see it in the news. And what stuns people, it's, it's exactly the same, exactly the same wording phraseology as in our modern Bibles. So they really took care this. Wasn't something that just, uh, went off the top. So, uh, and then the third one is orthodoxy does, does the book agree with basic Christian teaching? In this case, what is orthodoxy? It would be like what is found in the Apostles' Creed. Those basic statements that we pray every Sunday, or we don't pray, we say it out loud. These are the foundations. So if you find a book that contradicts something in that, pfft, it was out. So it had to be orth- So that's why Mark made it in, because of the antiquity of the old uh, records of the book, and the fact that from orthodoxy, it was dead on. It's virtually identical to the other gospels, each one has a little bit different thing, but I mean, there's nothing that stands out as weird. So that was accepted uh, that year. So only about, about the f- year 300, uh, there was this historian by the name of Eusebius, and he provided a list of these books that were considered legit or part of the canon, uh, and those that were not. So there were four categories. are you awake yeah half of your thing put the band back up there man i don't know what things are going on okay so there were there were three categories There's recognized Z E D. Uh, what's the other one uh disputed this is kind of a fun one and then spurious let's see if i can spell that is that right yep. <laughs> <laughs> then heretical Her- <laughs> Her- te- cool. one of the things you can say about these guys that did manuscripts they didn't write like me I mean the, the, when you read if you look at some of these things the penmanship is unreal I mean with exact detail it like copied word for word it's really rather fascinating <laughs> So anyway, the recognized books were the four gospels, the book of Acts, all of Paul's letters, anything that said, I, Paul, the apostle, it was automatically put in. And then 1 Peter and 1 John. That was the initial boom. That's a, everybody recognized this primarily because of the authorship. Then you got the disputed books. <clears throat> and uh, some of these uh, have been, were disputed for a long time. And some are even disputed till this day, oddly enough. <clears throat> and uh, those includes the book of James and Jude and 2 Peter and Second and Third John. They didn't have a problem with 1 Peter. They had a problem with 2 Peter. That's disputed. They didn't have a problem with 1 John. They had a problem with Second and Third John. And the reason for that is because of this antiquity question. Nobody had any record, early records of those other ones until they were found much later. Uh, obviously, by the time 300 came along, they were then accepted, and it's still part of our Bibles today, but initially they really struggled with it. Uh, James and Jude were problematic because of authorship, because neither one of them were apostles, and virtually everybody else is an apostle. Who are these guys? Well, James, uh, the book of James was written by Jesus' half-brother, okay? So Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus, and that was his half-brother, James, and Jude, <clears throat> you ever read the beginning of Jude? A Jude, an apostle or, or a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. <laughs> so we got the two, two of Jesus' brothers, basically half-brothers that were in this. I some people had to struggle with it because they thought, you know, maybe nepotism was going too strong or something. I don't know. Uh, and it, it shows a little bit of humility because if I'm Jesus half-brother, I'm saying, Mark, Jesus' brother. Go, marry mom, mom and dad. I'm the man. And none of them say that. James doesn't say anything. He just says he's a servant of, of God. But we know from the book of Acts that he was one of these, the brother of Jesus. And Jude won't bother to say that he is Jesus' brother. I'm James' brother. A level of humility that I have yet to recognize in my own personal life. <laughs> <coughs> Now, one of the big disputed problems was the book of James. And the one who really had a problem with it, and when we go and do the history of the church, the timeline is fascinating. When you get to the Reformation, this is when finally Protestants came to life. Because Martin Luther, at this time, by this time, the Catholic church had so corrupted itself. And even Roman Catholics to this day will admit they were totally corrupted. They don't think that Luther and everybody should have split off from them. They should have stuck around until we fixed it. Yeah, yeah, Everybody said, this is crazy. We're not. Gonna. And besides, back then, you couldn't disagree with anybody. <clears throat> you know, if you disagree, with are like, oh, okay, we don't agree. No, they kill you <laughs> or, or torture you or, you know, light you on fire and see if you burn. <laughs> if you don't burn, you're a witch. If you, do, if you don't burn, you weren't a witch. Guess you weren't a witch, you know? I mean, how horrible. I mean, and it wasn't just the Roman Catholics. I remember watching this documentary on, on the story of Martin Luther and all the Lutherans. It was really fascinating. Again, I'm looking forward to getting into this with you, but uh, in the history of the church. But of course, they show the Romans being horrible and tormenting all these Lutherans. Oh, what horrible people. And then later, I went reading how the Lutherans tortured the Baptists. <laughs> and the next group tortured the next. That's why everybody got out of Dodge and came here. It's what motivated people to come to America. Why? Because you could disagree with people and not get killed. Now, based on Facebook and Twitter, I think that's coming to an end. Because I think pretty soon they're going to start killing you if you don't agree with them. They can't handle when you don't disagree with them. They go insane and, uh, and lose their ever-loving minds. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, who was I talking about? Luther. Luther. Yeah, yeah, So. Luther comes along and uh, Martin Luther. Now that to young people, that's not Martin Luther King. Okay? And I get that from being on Facebook. You're talking about, well, he was a great civil, not him, you witch. We're talking about Martin Luther. Martin Luther King was named after Martin Luther, who lived in the 1500s, not the 1960s. <laughs> All right? So anyway, Martin Luther, he was the one, it dawns on him, all this religiosity, all this craziness that we're doing and all these rituals and going through all the former... Because everybody's trying to earn their way to God. He says, it's crazy. This is not how it's done. This is done by faith. You're born again by faith. It's still what we preach to this day. God bless Martin Luther. And if you go to a church anywhere in the world that is not Roman Catholic, you pretty much can thank Martin Luther. He started this. It's called the Reformation, and it changed the world. It was dramatic uh, breaking away from just the one, uh, dominated uh, church to, uh, Protestantism and something. Like anyway, he had a problem with James. The reason is because James has this little section where he says faith without works is dead, which is true. That's why it made the cut. <laughs> Luther still had a problem with it 500 years later or a thousand years later. He didn't think it should be in the Bible and said so openly And I think in his version of the Bible, it's stuck in the back (laughs) after revelations or something like that, because he just did it. because he thought this idea that you could do works to save yourself was heresy. Well, James doesn't say you do this to save yourself. Paul was very clear. We are saved by faith, by grace through faith. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to earn it. This is done by the grace of God. So uh, all James was saying, look, we can tell if you really have faith because you're doing something right? Thank you for that. Amen. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so that you've got the recognized books, you've got the disputed books, you've got the spurious, spurious books, uh, that, uh, are, are kind of odd. There's, they're called like the uh, Cop- apocalypse of Peter, the epistle of Barnabas, the gospel of Thomas, and there's hundreds of others. I mean, they were being all kinds of books were popping up in early Christianity, but they didn't make the cut mainly because of authorship. And then they couldn't stick with orthodoxy because they're making stuff up. Um, and then heretical were those that were in direct conflict to Christian orthodoxy. So let me give you some examples of spurious and heretical uh, books, and we'll wrap this up and pick it up uh, next month. But uh, as we continue to talk about this and put it all in context. So here are some of the books of the Bible you've probably never read. Was well, not part of our Bible, but God, they didn't make the cut. The Gospel of Peter is one. Only a fragment of this text has, has even been found. But it includes the only narrative account of the resurrected Jesus leaving his tomb. So this one records that Jesus, you know, the other one doesn't say it, but it says that he left the tomb. According to Peter's version, two giant angels descended to the tomb and escorted the resurrection, resurrected Jesus out who then suddenly was transformed into a gigantic Jesus. That's not the weird part. <laughs> the weird part is that there was uh, this floating cross that followed them, that talked. And here's a quote from the uh, Gospel of Peter. And they heard a voice from heaven saying, thou hast preached them to them that sleep. And the response from the cross was, yay. So... Ah, that didn't make it. <laughs> you got floating crosses that are talking. That ain't that ain't making it. All right. Even though it says Peter, I don't think this is really Peter, and it didn't line up with anything else. I'm pretty sure someone would have mentioned a floating talking cross. Just my guess. <laughs> then there's the Gospel of Mary. Now this is not the Virgin Mary. This is Mary Magdalene. This wasn't discovered till fairly recently, like 100 years or so ago. Uh, and who knows where this thing came from, but. Uh, Um, it says that uh, Mary Magdalene was not only referred to as one of Jesus' disciples, but perhaps his favorite one. In this text, after Jesus is resurrected, he relays esoteric teachings to Mary, who then tells the other disciples, and and Peter says, why are we listening to a woman? (laughs) That wouldn't have gone over today very well. Anyway, to which Matthew responds, if the Savior made her worthy, who are you then for your part to cast her aside? pretty legit actually right just because she's a woman doesn't mean you can't listen to her he said surely the savior knows her well and that's why he loved her more than us Ah, that's why you know that's not the case that uh i mean jesus can love whoever he wants but they're just pulling this out of thin air it certainly doesn't fit the uh uh the standard of uh, what do you call it uh antiquity (laughs) when it just pops up 100 years ago where this come from Okay. Um, Here's a really odd one. This one's Enoch. First Enoch, which is one of these Ethiopian churches keeps it in. It's purportedly written by the ancient prophet Enoch, who is before the time of Noah. And uh, something that we'll mention when we show you the order of stuff real quickly. We won't go the Bible verse by verse like we did before, but this is just in pieces. Anyway, um, this text is famous for its description of the watchers. These were these fallen angels that were mentioned briefly in the Old Testament book of Genesis. And it does. The, old, the book of Genesis said at some point, angels came down from heaven and made love to earthly women. Get your head around that. I don't even know what that's about. And from them came a uh, race of people that they called giants. They were very big. I don't know if this is where you get Greek mythology of all these guys who did all these incredible things and stuff. Who knows? The Bible doesn't tell us. As usual, it doesn't give us any details; just mentions it. Well, Enoch he gets into it in detail, and he says these angels came down; they lusted after human women, and, uh, and they created giant offspring, which agrees with the Bible. But then it says that Enoch also said the angels introduced evil into the world in the form of weapons, not that we know, magic, and sexy makeup. <laughs> uh, uh, I know, right? I mean, I don't know what that would be. I'm kind of curious. I got to tell you. Now, there are people who think that women should not wear makeup. Uh, and that's why this was, was bad. Uh, Pastor, do you have a problem? No, no, no. If, if the barn needs painting, paint the barn. All right. All right. Uh, and, uh, so but they, they were against it and it came out. So anyway, a lot of these things have. Here's the interesting thing. You can still read these books. They're kind of fascinating to read. You can go online and look up some of these extra books of the Bible. You know, uh, I think the uh, Epistle of uh, Barnabas and stuff, so on and stuff. And really interesting. And even the Apocrypha, which the Catholics put in, it's really not heretical. It doesn't really contradict anything. It's just the reason we didn't put it is because the Jews didn't put it in. And we were following their lead. We figured they should know. (laughs) They were there. So they put all those Old Testament books in, but they didn't put these several in. Uh, Some churches still read from them. They're really kind of interesting, actually, uh, if you ever want to read them and check out such stuff out. Okay, so anyway, there's a lot more to talk about, but that's just the foundation. We're going to get into this. Once we get the background of how all this gets established, then we're going to go through and break it down and help you to understand what you're reading when you read the Bible. So my appeal to you is, when you come back next First Wednesday bring a Bible with you. Bring an actual physical Bible, not one on your phone and something that's going to be splattered up there. In fact, I may not even splatter up there and make you read it. So at least, even if you never use it again, at least by the time we're done, you're going to get a feel of where everything is and how this is all done. And and, and it's kind of hard. It's more of a visual. If you don't have the visual, you're going to have a hard time comprehending uh, the layout of stuff. Okay. All right, so pretty basic, not the most earth shattering sermon in the world, but a teaching about the Bible. And we're going to continue this next first Wednesday. All right, let's all stand up. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. We love you, Lord. We're so, so blessed by the worship tonight, Lord. It is so fun to sing your praises and to celebrate the grace of God in our lives. Lord, you are so kind to us and we greatly appreciate it. We ask now that you bless all those who have gathered here tonight, those who've watched along our campus down in the Fox Valley. Bless all those who go now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. 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 Bye-bye.